Welcome to the Word at First Prez. The sermon you're about to hear is not part of a regular sermon series. It stands on its own and can be instructive to our Christian faith in its own way, even though it's not linked to other sermons. I hope you enjoy. Let us continue our worship with our first scripture reading, coming from Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 16. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor now, that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second uh, scripture reading today comes from Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly ordered them to be quiet, but they shouted even more loudly, have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Jesus stood still and called them saying, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight, and they followed him. The word of the Lord. So you might be wondering how a person like me ends up giving the sermon today. You know, I'm just like you. My wife and I have been members here for almost 40 years and have attended Sunday church and participated in a few things and contributed here and there and so on. So it stems from a conversation that I had with Alex back in February. I had a discussion with him about an issue and the discussion finished with Alex's comment, you are the kind of person that we are looking for. I didn't realize how profound Alex's statement was until he called me in June. In fact, I was driving home from a golf course in Wisconsin and he said, based on our conversation, I'd like you to give the sermon on September 5th. And I was somewhat uh, taken aback by that request, but when I came to my senses and wanting to contribute to the church, I readily agreed. So here I am, and my advice to you is be careful if you get into discussions with Alex. <laughs> a famous president once said, ask not what your country can do for you, 
ask what you can do for your country? What if we change that to ask what others can do for you? Ask not what others can do for you, but ask what you can do for others. As a disclaimer here, I don't want you to think that I have all the answers, because I don't. I'm going to relate to you some of the outreach activities that I have been doing for a great part of my life and hope that maybe my experiences might motivate you to reach out as well. It seems that I have been doing for others to some extent. Since my, I was in elementary school, when I organized croquet games in my backyard, or when I coached eight and nine-year-old baseball players when I was in high school and college. And then I chose to go into teaching high school math, and I was fortunate enough to teach math at nearby Hersey High School for 39 years and coach boys basketball there many of those years as head coach. Last season, I completed my 50th year coaching basketball as a volunteer in the Hersey program. As my college friends chose careers in marketing, finance, engineering, and the like, I chose a profession which, in my opinion, had a greater paycheck than the great deal of money that they made. I chose to serve students and athletes. 99% of my career was extremely positive with great feedback and many relationships that still exist today. I am still in contact with many of my former athletes and students, and I still interact with some of them for lunch or dinner or on the golf course. They range in age from the 60s to the 20s. One of the classic relationships that I am lucky enough to sustain is with a student named Bob Brown. Bob was in my honors geometry class in 1988-89, and Bob went on to become a math and technology teacher at Hersey, and basically has been my mentor for all things related to technology during the last 20 years. This is a classic reversal of roles, and I've been fortunate enough to become his student, and he's kept me technologically savvy. Coaching for me has been primarily about teaching players about their character, helping them prioritize family and studies, and most importantly, teaching them what working in a group is all about for the betterment of all involved. I would say to my players, what is your role on this team? How can you help us, whether you are the leading scorer or the 15th person on the depth chart? Whatever your role is, embrace it and be the best you can be. I would ask those athletes, how do you deal with authority at home, in the classroom, or at a job you might have? If they couldn't deal with those issues in those venues, they would be difficult to coach. How is your attitude when your parents ask you to be home at a certain time, or when they ask you to help out around the house? How do you deal with that teacher you don't like? or that boss in your job? How will you find your role in those venues in the future? How will you become a team player in your marriage and find out what is best to serve your family? One of the classic examples of being a great team player was a varsity basketball player we had at Hersey named Scott Prackle. Scott, and I'm proud to say that Scott is here today with his wife, Amy, 
and Scott was a good youth player in his younger days. He was used to having a good deal of success on all of his younger teams. But when he came to the varsity at Hersey in the 1984-85 season, he was back on the depth chart and he didn't play very much. How did Scott handle that? He didn't complain. We never heard from his parents. Instead, he worked his tail off in practice every day and he made it very difficult for our starting point guard, Brian Gregory. I used to enjoy, and I think Scott did too, watching him battle Brian in practice every day. In short, Scott was one of the main reasons we went downstate that year to the state finals as an Elite Eight team, because he made those with playing time so much better. Scott may have even catapulted Brian Gregory, our starter, into a storied college basketball career as Brian is now the head men's basketball coach at the University of South Florida. We can compare Scott's role on our varsity team to Moses from the scripture this morning when Scott asked him to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Moses was out in the middle of the desert tending to his flock when all of a sudden he came across a burning bush. And from this burning bush, Moses hears the voice of God speaking to him. And God tells Moses that there is a divine mission he must fulfill. God is sending Moses to be the leader of the Israelites and to free them from slavery. Moses is not thrilled about this assignment. He doesn't see himself as a leader. In fact, as we read this scripture, Moses is coming up with all kinds of different excuses for why he can't fulfill his mission. In particular, Moses is a man who has trouble speaking. When God hears this excuse, God tells Moses that Moses' brother Aaron will be his mouthpiece. In essence, God is acknowledging that Moses cannot do this on his own and will need the help of his brother. God saw Moses as a leader and believed that he would be the right person to lead the Israelites. He just needed a little help. The point being that God has endowed each of us with gifts. And sometimes those gifts are obvious, but other times those gifts are things we cannot see on our own. We need other people who can see those gifts inside of us to tell us those gifts exist. And also to help draw them out in the right ways. When Scott Pracko got into our varsity program, he wasn't playing much, but we saw his value and I could see Scott's work ethic. And it helped him to realize his very valuable role on our team and allowed him to become a very important player. From my perspective, most of us will never have a moment where God literally speaks to us and tells us our destiny. Instead, God shows us our potential through the people in our lives, teachers, coaches, mentors. We all need someone who can see our best qualities and point us in the right direction. In my experience, the ability to help someone see and reach his potential is a calling from God. Speaking of callings from God, besides continuing to volunteer coach at Hersey, my wife and I have volunteered for many years for the Daniel Murphy Scholarship Foundation, which awards scholarships to disadvantaged Chicago area youths to private high schools. And these are both local and boarding schools. 
and the organization eventually helps those students find scholarships to colleges. Since its founding 30 years ago, the Daniel Murphy Scholarship Foundation has had over 2,000 college graduates, recipients who have become doctors, teachers, lawyers, police, etc., and those who probably would never have had a chance to get out of their tough neighborhoods. Those who most likely would have been part of the problem instead of becoming part of the solution. Each year, DMSF gets about 900 applications for the 125 scholarships for each new freshman class. And Jody and I help screen the applications and we interview some of the approximately 300 finalists and their parents for those 125 scholarships. The stories that these students tell about how they can't play outside for fear of random gunshots or what they do to support their families are amazing. Most of these families have very low incomes, yet they produce their great children who are both great students and show great energy. Because of the Daniel Murphy Scholarship Foundation, these students are empowered to take charge of their lives and they become valuable and productive citizens. A scripture connection here comes from Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34, when Jesus hears two blind men calling out to him, let our eyes be opened. As Jesus considers their plight, he then steps to them and touches their eyes, and immediately they regain their sight and follow him. The lesson here is that these men are on the side of the road and they are unable to work. And as a point of reference, in ancient times, if someone was disabled, they could not work and they could not make a living. So Jesus is not only giving them their sight back, he is giving them their lives back. The Daniel Murphy Scholarship Program gives students their chance to have a life they have, might never have had. But maybe the most far-reaching activity I do is that I make over 100 presentations every year on about 30 dates to about 20 different high schools to encourage high school students to register to become organ and tissue donations. Why? Because I'm a double corneal transplant recipient and after 50 years of terrible vision, in reality, I was legally blind without correction. I have been given the gift of sight because of two different people who selflessly decided to be organ and tissue donors. I was diagnosed at age 26 with a condition that you probably never have heard of called keratoconus. And I struggled for 25 years with poor vision and expensive contact lenses until the miracle of transplantation. After receiving my transplants and wanting to give back, I affiliated myself with the Gift of Hope, which is located in Itasca and coordinates organ and tissue transplantation in three-fourths of Illinois. I have been fortunate enough to have developed a speaking network of high school classes at these schools, which range from high school driver education classes to classes in health, biology, and even psychology. I try to educate students on the facts about organ and tissue donation and the great need for registered donors so that they can make a decision that is comfortable for them 
and for their families. While I never want any of my audience to actually be organ and tissue donors, I am never sure what the eventual effect of my encouragement will be. All I do know is that there are over 113,000 people in the United States waiting for an organ transplant that would save their lives, and that over 7,000 people on average in the United States die each year because they did not get the transplant they were waiting for. And this is compounded by the fact that the sign-up rate for registering to be an organ and tissue donor in the United States is only about 60% of adults, which is not high enough to reduce those numbers. And so hopefully I'm in helping to improve that situation. I have also done other outreach activities for the Gift of Hope, as in the current picture, where I did a promotional event at the Deerfield Driver's License Facility with Jesse White, Illinois Secretary of State, to promote registering for organ and tissue donor. Jesse White was one of the first Secretaries of State in the United States to promote registering for organ and tissue donation when getting or renewing a driver's license. Again, I don't want you to think that I have all the answers for serving others, but these activities have evolved as an outgrowth of situations that I have been in. And therefore, in conclusion, my question to all of you is, what is it that you can do to help others? The saying goes, if you have blessings in your life, you have a responsibility to share those gifts. As John Calipari, head men's basketball coach at the University of Kentucky, says in his book, success is the only option. I tell my players from the moment they get on campus that the only true joy comes from being a giver. What is it in your life that is a talent or experience you have had that can help others? If you say, well, I'm not sure what experience I've had that could lead to helping others, then could you work at the library in the literacy program? Could you volunteer at the Arlington Heights Senior Center or at the Wheeling Township Food Bank or at the Lutheran Home or at the Moorings? If, you're, if you were here for Judy Hockenberry's sermon on August 5th, you heard her ask for you to get involved here at the church to help this church reach out to the community, such as for faith community homes. Could you help here at the church with the PADS program or for the landscaping committee or for the Wednesday night dinners or for many other needs that the church might have? Or what else is there that you could do that would be an asset to others? If you can't help physically, can you help donate money to any of these or other causes? We all have talents. Can you use yours for others? Thank you for listening. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.